From New England Public Radio, this is the Valley Voices Podcast. Perhaps because she was the president of the PTA and a Girl Scout leader, she felt a moral imperative to call my mother to let her know what her daughter was up to. With the next of our Valley Voices Story Slams with the Academy of Music coming up, we're looking back to our archives to feature the top three stories from our schooled Story Slam, held back in September of 2014. Here we're sharing stories of cruel nuns, defying the odds, and a little love note that turned out not to be so little at all. Up first is Keith McVeigh. When Sister Georgiana came into our seventh grade class and said that day we were going to write secret Christmas prayers to the baby Jesus. And Regina Coates must have believed they were going to be secret prayers, otherwise she would never have written what she did. So here's what happened. Paper was passed around, we wrote our little prayers. They were pretty safe and bland. I won't even tell you what they were. Tell you what mine was, it was boring. Jack Carlson later said that he asked Jesus for a get out of hell free card, <laughs> but he was the class bad boy and he did things like that. In any event, papers were collected, put in, folded up, put into little envelopes, and sealed up tight because they were secret prayers. <laughs> they were collected in a basket by Sister Georgiana, who told us she was going to bring them over to the church and put them right next to the crib in the manger scene. End of story as far as we were concerned, until a week later, the day before the Christmas holidays began. Sister Georgiana arrives at first thing in the morning and she says, we're gonna have an oral quiz today on the lessons that you were supposed to study last night. This was a dirty trick on the last day before the holidays. No one had studied. The lesson that we were supposed to study was the seven deadly sins. Bernadette Casenza, please define for me the sin of pride. I'm sorry, sister, she says, twirling her hair nervously. I didn't have time to study last night. Well, maybe Mr. McGuire can help us. Michael McGuire, please define for us the sin of gluttony. Shrugging his shoulders and mumbling, McGuire says, I'm sorry, sister, uh, I didn't uh, study either. Now she's getting pissed off. Regina Coates, perhaps you could help these morons. Could you tell us the definition of the sin of lust? Regina looks down and then looks right up into the nun's face and says, I don't know. I didn't have time to study either. Sister Georgiana closes her catechism book, walks to her desk, takes the catechism book, and goes, bam, bam. She rolls up her sleeves very slowly. Not a good sign. She turns to Regina Coates, and she says, Regina Coates, maybe you should ask the baby Jesus to help you have time to study. Instead of asking baby Jesus to make Arthur Francillo fall in love with you. <laughs> A cloud of silence falls over the room. 
Even Sister Georgiana looked shocked by what she had done and what she had revealed. We all knew now that she had read all of our secret prayers. She had lied to us and she was in the middle of publicly humiliating the only African-American girl in our class of 56. Regina Coates, who was smart, who was beautiful, who was talented, but she was black. And that made her an outsider, and she had the nerve to ask Jesus to make the most popular boy in the class fall in love with her. Reflecting on that, it was clear to me that this was a setup, and Sister, Sister Georgiana knew exactly what was going to happen. I look to Regina Coates' desk, and I see tears coming down her face, her beautiful brown face. Her lips are quivering, her body is shaking, and she begins to sob. And no one says a word or does a thing. I've gone back to that moment many times in my life. I've wished that I could give voice to that little boy that was me and say, Sister Georgiana, why did you do that? That was terrible. What were you thinking? And turn to Regina and say, Regina, I am so sorry. That should never have happened. You didn't deserve that. And turn to my classmates and say, why are we so silent? In the years since then, I've had careers that have helped me find my voice. And I will never be silent again. Keith McVeigh of Greenfield, Massachusetts. Next, Saul Guillon opens up about what he had to endure to get to where he is today. After being estranged from my sister for five years, I knocked on her door. Immediately I thought, Someone's going to get schooled. <laughs> After waiting for three hours, my sister arrives. And when she sees me, she's delighted. In fact, she gives me the warmest hug. It almost reminded me of our precious childhood together. <laughs> she invited me upstairs. And immediately, I see DeAngelis and Samantha, my two niece and nephews. And my sister, she really wanted me to do this voice that I don't want to do tonight, but she said, do it. Do the Elmo's voice. Please do it. The kids will be so happy. And I said, no, but you know, I hesitated and I thought about it. I'm like, why not? And so I told the kids, hi, my name is Elmo. <laughs> and after making my niece, my nephew, and my sister laughed, I asked her for the favor that I was ready to ask her, a favor that would change my life forever, a favor that could possibly end my day as a homeless, undocumented teen. And when I asked her, I told her I'm here for a very serious purpose. She said, what is it? So while she looked at me, I took out a document and I showed it to her. And I told her, this is a document that I want you to sign. And basically, you're testifying that mom was the culprit of many abuses. And she said, 
I can never do that. I can never do that. And all of a sudden, that silence, it felt like the silence that was in Hiroshima before the, the atomic bomb hit. And she got altered and she said, you, you're a monster. It says it in the word of God, honor your father and your mother and you shall live for a very long time. Your days are counted in this world. Trying to get citizenship, fighting against our own mother for your own benefit? Is school really that important to you? And I told her, Joanna, you have to remember. You have to remember what happened that night. Just sign it. And it wasn't until she closed her eyes that I knew she was thinking about it. And... I couldn't help but to reminisce to that time when I walked into the house after getting out of Barringer High School in Newark, New Jersey. And I was wearing my gay pride bracelet. And my mom says, come to me, my son. I, I'm not going to hurt you. I just want to pray for you. Immediately, my mother starts rehearsing the Hail Mary in Spanish and puts her hand on my forehead. Santa Maria, Madre de Dios. Santa Maria, Madre de Dios. Santa Maria, Madre de Dios, ruega por ella y nosotros los pecadores. And all of a sudden, there's olive oil spilling on my forehead, all the way down to my chin and on my shirt. And I told her, Mom, please, Mom, please, I'm cheering your son. Please don't do this to me. I'm normal. And she said, you're not normal. You are not normal. So she turned to the stove, she turned it on, she grabbed a piece of paper, and she put it in flame, and she threw it at me. And immediately I thought, I'm on fire! Do I need help me, please? I'm on fire! And all of a sudden, my sister just pushes me, and then she slaps my mother, and she says, you are not a good mother, and you are definitely not God. You think that because you brought him to this world, you can take him out of it? You're crazy. And immediately, my sister turns around, opens the cabinet, grabs a butcher knife, grabs my shirt, and rips it open, and I free myself from the fire. And I told her, how can you forget that day? She said that she couldn't. And immediately she said, why don't you marry a woman? Just marry a woman. Pretend to be straight. And I said, what kind of man would marry a woman and lie to her on the most important day of her life? What kind of man would marry a woman and love a man while he's married, while he prayed, his, while he agreed to love her and, and poor and wealth and, and health and sickness? And she said, you're right, I'll sign it. And you know what? If my son or my daughter ever comes out gay, I'll tell them that gay is the connotative definition of happy. And that is who his uncle is. Immediately I took out the document where my sister read all the names of the people that also knew about the abuses of my mom. And without questioning, she says, where do I sign? And I said, right here. And she said, well, what are you going to do after you get in? And I said, I don't know. I think that I want to inspire others. And she says, where? And I said, New England, Massachusetts. Saul Grillon, who graduated last year from Amherst College. Now, closing things out, Lois Barber with her schoolgirl crush.
I couldn't catch him on the school playground. Fifth grade boys can run faster than fifth grade girls. So I wrote him a note. Dear Douglas, would you please stand still so I can kiss you? Kissing him was my job as founder and president of his fan club. It was 1957 Irvington, New Jersey. Some girls had started a fan club for Elvis Presley. And I thought, well, why not start one for someone right here in our class? Douglas was adorable with his blonde curly hair and his blue eyes. And he was smart and kind and a good listener in our reading group. So I chose him. To make it a secret fan club, I reversed his initials from DW to WD and gave them new meaning, Washington Donuts. So I handed him the note on the school playground. He was terrified. No way was he going to get kissed. And he put the note in his pocket. That night, his mother found it. Perhaps because she was the president of the PTA and a Girl Scout leader, she felt a moral imperative to call my mother to let her know what her daughter was up to. I can still remember how the light was streaming in the window and falling on the pink ceramic vase on my mother's dresser when she asked me about the note. I was just so embarrassed. My first foray into romance, and I had been caught by my mother and the president of the PTA. <laughs> the fan club evaporated. I was mortified to even look at Douglas for the next several years. We went all through school together, only sharing the occasional awkward smile of recognition. We graduated and went our separate ways. Now it's spring 2007. For work, I went to a conference at Rutgers Law School in Newark, New Jersey, which is right next to Irvington. And each day, I walked through this city where I was born and where my blind Uncle Tony had a newspaper stand and where my mother took me shopping for school clothes. And I was just so full of childhood memories. As an icebreaker at the conference, the moderator asked our group, what's the most embarrassing thing that ever happened to you in elementary school? Because I was in Nork and so full of memories, I thought of my mother questioning me about this note. So I shared that story for the first time. A few days later, I was back at work at my office in Amherst, and I was checking my email. And I'm looking down the list of subjects, and one caught my eye. And it said, Winters, that's my second grade teacher. Braun, my fifth grade teacher. Myrtle, my elementary school. Berkeley, my junior high school, and Irvington, my high school. Who could write me an email with these five words? Click. Dear Lois, one page of text, Doug Wolf. How could this possibly be? I was amazed and a bit delighted. I wrote back immediately and said how incredible it was for me to get this email as I had just told a story about him at, at this conference I was at. So how did he come to write to me? Well, his mother plays a redeeming role in this story. 
She had asked him to find her a particular book about Irvington, and he went online, which led him to our high school website. And while there, he scanned down our high school graduating class and came upon my name. We emailed back and forth for two months. It was delightful. We shared stories from our hearts and told each other about our lives. It wasn't too long before he invited me, before he said he would like to come and see me. It was May. And this was the first spark of romance. And in June, he actually appeared. I met him at 5.30 AM at Bradley Airport. I forgot to tell you that one of the emails he wrote to me said that whenever he brought home a girl for dinner, within about five minutes, his mother would bring out the note. <laughs> and that he would be so embarrassed that he'd want to crawl under the table. So he arrived in May. We had agreed beforehand that if things weren't going well being together, we would each go to a separate room in, our in my house and go back to email. But they did go well. And that night, he put his arms around me, and he gave me the kiss that I'd been waiting for for 50 years. And I would like to introduce you to Doug, who's right down here. <laughs> that was Lois Barber with a story from the Schooled Story Slam, held back in September of 2014. Do you have a story to tell? Next month, we'll be hosting our final Valley Voices Story Slam of the season. The night's theme will be money, money, money. Visit nepr.net slash valleyvoices to learn how to audition your first line on our Story Slam hotline. This has been the Valley Voices Podcast from New England Public Radio. Mm -hmm.